everyone. Welcome to Group Text. I have a great guest today. Someone we probably don't want to either of us admit how long we've known each other. <laughs> Multimedia queen. Joe between TV, film roles with the, and I love this, the greatest of ease. <laughs> Author of three children's book and her hit podcast, Going to Bed with Garcelle. Gee, I just gave it away. Uh, in 2019, she became the first black cast member of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And the following year, became a talk show host on The Real. Finally, another accomplishment. Her brand new memoir, Love Me As I Am, is a huge bestseller. Please welcome Garcelle Bouvet. Bouvet. I always oh, want to say I always want to say it like you're French. Garcelle Bouvet. Hello, <laughs> Melissa. Everybody does that. Hi. Hi. It's been a minute since I've seen you. I mean, obviously through social media, but like you But know. you've been because you we've both been super busy, knock on wood. Knock on wood, right? Who would have thought they said, you know, when you turn 40, you're a has-been. Thank God that's changed. Oh, my God. Well, we're going to get into it. I would have been a has, 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 has-been. Oh, we all would have. We have so much to discuss. So the book is called Love Me As I Am. What yes. prompted the title? Oh, you know, I wanted something that was like, take me as I am. And we wanted to finesse it a little bit. And uh, I really thought the word love is accepting. You know, the word love makes you feel good. So I thought, love me as I am, as opposed to take me as I am. Oh, that's, I like that. A little, a little, um, oh God, what's the word? Elevation of the thought. Yes, a little elevation of the thought. And it's funny that you say that because my mom, we weren't allowed to say what when we came to America and my friends, when my friends' mothers would call them and they'd go, what? And my mother hated that. And she would say, I want you to say yes, mom, or yes, because she felt like yes was more open. What was closed and defensive. <laughs> I'm used to, huh? <laughs> but so the book is filled with great stories about your life and your career. But I've, I've discovered something about you, which I find wonderful and fascinating, but more than anything, Hilarious. What? You were 17, aspiring model, and you were putting on lipstick at a stoplight and you got got picked up? You can't make this up. It's so crazy to me. Even still, when I tell the story, I we moved to Miami. I was 16 years old, and a friend of mine said, Do you want to be an extra in a commercial? And I go, What's an extra? And he told me, and he goes, it's $75 a day. And I was like, absolutely, that's good money. And so um, I went on this commercial, Orange Juice commercial, and there were like a few cast members, principal photographer, uh, principal cast members in the commercial. And one of them was this pretty black girl. So at the end of the second day, I got enough courage to go to her and say, hey, how are you, you know, how did you get here? I want to do what you're doing. And honey, she was not having it. She was like, bye, Felicia. Yeah. And so. She didn't I need competition out. from someone younger and prettier. Yeah, exactly. She's like, get the fuck away and from so, me. Um, I found out she was with Irene Marie in Fort Lauderdale. So I asked my mom to borrow her car one day. I didn't have pictures. I didn't have a portfolio. I knew nothing, but I thought I'm going to go see them. That's who she's with. And so as I was in the stoplight that you referred to, I poked my head out to look at my, my makeup outside of the window and then decided I needed lip gloss. And as I'm reaching for my lip gloss, a hand comes in the car 
scares the hell out of me. That's, I scream bloody murder. That's terrifying. Terrifying. And it was the woman at the stoplight behind me who saw me when I poked my head out. And she was like, you should be a model. And it was the agency that I was going to without an appointment. That feels a little predestined. Something. But, <laughs> Something. I mean, what? it's like out of an MGM musical. Yeah, it's exactly. Like- I mean, it was really wild. And then, of course, I go there and uh, now I have a card. So I'm like, at least legitimately, right. I should be there. Excuse me, I and have an I appointment. With them. Yeah, and I signed with them. And about eight months later, Eileen Ford was scouting the country as she used to do and um, said to my mom, she should move to New York. All she needs is a toothbrush. And my mom said, okay. And I was like, wait, I, I think I need more. Like a change, say, like a change of underwear. Yeah. Basics. Yeah. <laughs> Basics, exactly. And then, because, you know, overachiever that you are. So mm-hmm. 17, mm-hmm. then you move to New York at 18. And at 19, you get cast in Coming to America. Yeah. How intimidating was it walking on to that set? I I had never been really on a movie set. I didn't even know what like stand on your mark, action, rolling. I knew nothing. And so when I auditioned for the lead, which was absurd. <laughs> <laughs> like absurd. And so of course when I didn't get the part, shocker. Um John Landis called and said, you know, if she wants to be in the industry, we're going to offer her the Rose Bear. And this is a great way for her to get her feet wet, be on set. And so get your we SAG, sure. get your SAG card, get my SAG card. And uh, and it was with Eddie Murphy, of course, who I knew of. And uh, it was the most intimidating set because there were so many beautiful women. And this set was just, you know, it had to be Africa. So it was huge and animals and Paul Abdul was choreographing the dance numbers. And it was just like, what is happening? I, I would have thrown up. <laughs> I would have, I, I, I literally would have thrown up. And how did you stay composed? I don't know. I just stayed quiet. It wasn't about being composed. It was just about shut up and just absorb and look and don't look dumb. You know, your IMDB is like, a freaking joke. Okay, it's a, it's a joke. You have been in everything. You're the Haitian American Michael Caine. That's what I have decided. <laughs> I mean, I, I need a t-shirt. <laughs> I am the Haitian American Michael Caine. Um, and I always like asking this of accomplished actresses who have long careers if you could go back and play one part again what would it be and I'm, I know all of them are your baby I know you loved all of them so there's the no, no, disclaimer no. what would I do over again that's a, I know what I want to do that I haven't done but I don't know what I would do again well what do you want to uh, do that you haven't done we'll start there I would love to play I would love to redo the basic instant role that Sharon Ooh. Stone did like how ballsy is that would you wear underwear no. Oh, at a girl. <laughs> as long as it's I, I wanted Photoshop though. As long as it's got as long as it's lit well, since at our age all we are is about lighting. <laughs> That's why I think I want Photoshop. <laughs> Excuse me, I think it needs a key light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and maybe, <laughs> maybe some special effects. Hair and makeup. <laughs> Great. This is going to be a good one of all. I okay, so what part would you want to go back and do again? Um, I would say... I would say I was in this move, this TV show called Opposite Sex with Milo Ventimiglia, Chris Evans, back in the day. And I think I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. I think I was like, I want to be a Thess fan. And I really wasn't. And I think I'd want to do that again because I think it was a fun set. And I had all these cute boys and I didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, you were, you were trying to be an actress rather than exactly. just stay in the Okay, so that yeah. would be for fun. Mm -hmm. Which, and, and this is all in hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which role do you think you could do better now? I think the Jamie Foxx show. Really? I do, because I hadn't done comedy. And luckily for me, I had gone to Groundlings and took some classes prior to getting that show, which really helped me because Jamie being the comedian actor that he is, we would rehearse during the week. But once the audience came in, he would get such a high from the audience that he would switch up lines. He would, so it was kind of like, you never knew where you were going to land. And I think I would have enjoyed that process more, but I loved that show. I really learned so much, grew so much. Um, and the, you know, the art of being in front of an audience once a week was really cool. Oh, absolutely. And that, that connection with them and the energy you get from the reaction. Yeah. I love the fact yeah. that you actually didn't just sit here and say, um, I, I wouldn't redo anything. It shows such um, self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's something we don't see a lot of. That's unfortunate because I know sometimes I hear actors who are like, oh, I don't want you to refer to me as this particular character that I played and you fell in love with. It's like, I, to me, as an actor or as, a, as an artist, you want people to connect to your art. So if there's a character that became beloved, like Fancy, I would have to say from the Jamie Foxx show, people still call me that. To me, that's like, wow, you guys really connected to it and you still love it and you still... So I don't see it as a bad thing and I've been able to do other things. So maybe that's also has something to do with it. If I was pigeonholed into just that, then maybe I wouldn't like the character so much, but I think it's a good thing when people connect to what you do. I, I agree. If acting hadn't worked out, did you have a plan B? I really wanted to be a journalist. That was my plan A. Really? I really yeah, I really wanted to be a host, a reporter, like that's what I always wanted to do. But then acting came along. And then every time I would bring it up to my team, they would be like, no, 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 but you're doing so well. Like, like finally it took years of me getting my voice and being able to say, this is really what I want to do. So when I got this show called Hollywood Today Live, that was a local show in LA. I think I did know, that show with you. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And that was really fun. And I did that for nothing because they paid nothing. No. <laughs> and I, yeah. But it was me showing people that this is where I want to be. And so sometimes it's not about the dollar. Um, you know, it's about mm -hmm. being seen in the way that I wanted people to see me. And I think from that, I was able to, you know, um, go for The View. You know, I co-hosted for a week because they were looking for someone for the chair back in the day. 
Um, so I think that helped. Yeah, it didn't. It. I, I think people that enjoy that are naturally inquisitive. Hmm. Yes, and chatty and nosy too. Yeah. Well, I like to say inquisitive rather than nosy. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, okay. I can't believe I'm going to ask you this, but I it's it's low hanging fruit, and I have to. So you really went on a date with Larry David? I did. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I mean. I did. Talk, by the way, talk about so Hollywood. <laughs> so Hollywood. I had done his show, but me and my ex were obsessed with Curb Your Enthusiasm. As a matter of fact, Mike is a little like Larry David. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying anything out of turn. He would say that too. And so, um, yeah, I was a big fan, did the show, thought he was really cool. And then when I became single, I saw him, I think at the Sean Penn event. Uh, and he said, you know, would you have dinner with me? And I said, yeah, sure. Where'd you go? And, and, and he said, and he said, give me your number. And I said, I'm going to give you my number and you're going to remember it. And he goes, yeah, like he didn't put it in his phone. So I, I, I said my number out loud and he remembered it. And I thought, there's no way, there's no way. So as I'm leaving the, the party, he's at ballet and he turns around and he looks at me and he mouths the number. <laughs> 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 so I thought, okay, that's fun. And so we went on a date and I lived in Sherman Oaks at the time. And let me tell you, he complained the entire time that he had to take the four or five to come and see me. Oh my God, where'd you guys go? We went to, oh, it was it not Il Pastillo. It's um the garden, some garden on Ventura and, and Coldwater. It's an like an old establishment that's really cool. I don't think it's there anymore. I'm gonna think about it. But uh yeah, I was geographically unattractive. <laughs> I would have been like, take me to Casa Vega. <laughs> I do like Casa Vega. It's, it's so a little dark, but yeah. Which is <laughs> For me, an advantage. Um, I want to talk more about your book, Love Me As I Am. Okay, so you're 55 now. Yeah. Ready to be loved as you are. Yes. Do you think you would have been ready at 25 or 35? Hell no. Not a chance. I didn't know who I was, what I wanted, uh, what I liked. Like, no, not at all. Not at all. And I think that's the beauty of being my age now and really... I don't want to say living my best life, but living a pretty good life because I also think I know what I like and what I don't, what I don't like. I'm also more confident as a mom this time around than I was my first time around with my son, Oliver. So I think as you get older, you grow and get wiser and, you know, you still make mistakes. I'm a work in progress, but I think I definitely am in a better place for me. It's the book isn't just a memoir. It's truly, I mean, my feeling was it was also a manifesto for happiness. Um, what currently makes you happy? Sleeping in, which I don't get to do a lot. Oh, tell me about it. Oh my God. Um, hanging out with my kids. That really makes me happy because I know, you know, my oldest son's already out of the house and he has a son of his own and oh we're and, gonna get to your grandmothering style don't worry <laughs> about that because i have real issues and i always have tried to take advantage to helping to working them through and <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll pivot to that in we'll a moment okay yeah so hanging out with my, my my kids for sure um and sometimes just being quiet and alone i don't get a lot of alone time 
Um, but then having dinner with great friends and, you know, as long as I can go to bed before 10. God, you sound like me. How hard was it get to, was it to get happy? Was there like a pivotal moment where you said to yourself, I need to make some sort of a change. Something's not working. Yeah, I felt like the stories I was telling myself were not great stories. And I was holding on to stories that no longer served me. And I was still feeling angry about things that happened in the past. And I'm like, why am I giving my power away and, and letting that affect me now? So it was that. It was a lot of self-help books and really just not giving zero Fs as much as you, I can. You can say that on here. Um, okay, zero. zero fucks given. Um, yeah. What were the what were the tapes in your head? What were you saying to yourself? Because I know, you know, like like you know, this being single uh, story about you know my husband betraying me, like holding on to stuff like that and being angry if he was happy. Um, That's an which, interesting one. You know, why like, do you get to be happy and not me? Yeah. Why have you? When been- I didn't do anything, right. you know that that was a really that was a big one for me. Um, and, and, you know, but at the same time, wanting my kids to, it it was all jumbled up all the things that I was saying to myself that weren't always true and weren't serving me anymore. So once I learned that don't hold on to things that no longer serve you, that helped a lot. I, you know, we're all works in progress, but I found, found, find sort of a com, com, my own new word found, um, (laughs) I wear a lot of masks and I put on the happy mask and then I know that inside I'm feeling short and fat and ugly and unsuccessful and not good enough. And if I were only taller, you know, whatever it is. And then every now and again, you know, I'm always a firm believer that if you tell yourself you're happy enough, you're going to figure out a way to get there. Yeah, I agree. You know, what what part of you were you hiding? What mask were you wearing? I mean, you were hiding. Um, I think sadness. I think, you know, sometimes lonely. And I, but I don't want to settle. I don't want just anyone in my life in my bed just because I I I don't want to be alone. I like being alone. Um, maybe too much sometimes. Um, I think also my mask was my older son was going through a lot for a very long time. And I still had my mask because I still had to work. I still had to, you know, support my family. And the sadness I had because he was lost was a mask that I wore for a long time. That's really hard. Yeah. That's right. Especially because, like, especially like I'm thinking about like when my mom died. Yeah. I couldn't show, yeah. it's not that I couldn't be sad around my son, but I had to constantly put on this face of, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. If I can get through this, I can be strong enough for the both of us. And then you, I would go in my room and dissolve because I knew if I fell apart, he would fall apart. Right. Right. And that's so difficult. And that's what we do as women too, you know, for the kid's sake, for the kid's sake. Like I say to myself, even now, and by the way, I miss your mom. She was incredible. And I know you guys were so close and I know she was close to Coop too. Yeah. Um, um, for my boys, sometimes I feel like I recovered quickly because they were three with my divorce. And I also, you know, put them first as he, as he did too. 
but I feel like they will never really know what it took for me to get there so that they can have a semi-normal you know, upbringing without mom, dad drama. You know, that's really interesting that you say that because I very much with, with Cooper kept the, the, the sort of the drumbeat of, you know, because we separated when Cooper was nine months old. Wow. The, coo- the, the drumbeat of this is normal and there's nothing wrong with this and everything's fine. And even though when his father and I would have problems and sometimes he would, it would spill over and he would know what was going on. Sure. they do. But I always worked so hard to never make him feel guilty for spending time with his dad or spending time at his house. Right. Or any of those things. And we got to the point where our custodial switch, which was a great piece of advice I got, was on a weekday so that I would drop him off at school and then he would pick him up or the reverse. That's interesting. That's what we do, but I never, it wasn't strategic. It was, someone recommended it to me. Oh, wow. Because it gives them that decompression time. You're not having to say an extra goodbye. It's, there's a normal pattern. Oh, wow. Melissa, that's amazing. You can send me. We were doing that and I didn't even know. That's really great. Good. I'll send you Dr. May's bill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What lessons are you teaching your children? And I can't believe I'm saying this, your grandchildren or grandchild on how to be happy. He's two years old. So nothing just now be nice. Um, but my older kids, it's really, I want them to be respectful. That, that's really, really important to me. And the other day I took one of them, uh, I took Jade and his, a girl he likes to see a movie, to a movie premiere. And um, when I dropped her off, he walked her to the door and her mom texted me afterwards and said, he is such a gentleman. Thank you so much. And to me, that is the best compliment I can get from another mom, you know? And I really just want them to be compassionate, you know, respectful, kind young men, you know? I mean, I feel like these that this next generation, Cooper and my kids, like they know themselves much more than I think we did at their age. Yeah. There's a confidence that I see in my kids that I didn't necessarily have or owned at that at their age like if I go oh I'm having a dilemma and I said I would do this but now I really don't want to and I don't know why they'll be like mom just call them and say that you can't do it like and I'm like but I'm like oh no with the guilt I can't do that I can't (laughs) I gotta lie don't do what mommy does because mommy's about to say she just had bad clams yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly so So, do you spoil the grandbaby Oh my God. Yes. And my kids point it out all the time. They're like, you buy him more things than me. Um, I do. I mean, I don't get to see him. He's in Vegas. We FaceTime a lot. Um, and I go there or they come here, but yeah, I mean, I swear, I can't believe that I'm a grandmother and I love it. So I love him. He's so sweet. And Oliver was this, I, I say this when Oliver was 14, I started saying, good morning, condoms, have a great day at school, condoms. <laughs> like, what do you want for dinner? Condoms. <laughs> Subliminal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so he didn't have, he didn't give me a grandchild until he was 29. So I'm like, yes. So I got to start with the condoms talk in my house. Oh God. Now so- I'm talking about consent, you know, like other things. It's oh, crazy. 
what's interesting is that Cooper's fraternity, that they have the at parties, they keep the doors closed, and they have brothers actually pledges outside, and there's a whole speech they have to give about consent. Really, before the party goers are allowed in the house, and it's about no means no. If you are uncomfortable, find someone. If you feel like you've had too much to drink, there is always water and snacks behind the bar. Wow. You know, but it's like a whole thing, you know, and the last part is, and remember, we know that no means no. And I find that fascinating that that's what they do, what his, his, going into a party. How about that? I I, I mean, how about that? Just think about when we were a kid and we didn't, I mean, we, Knew if we said no, but if it went further, was it really no? Like, wow, that's amazing. We've come a long way. That's beautiful. Yeah, I was busy drinking vodka out of a plastic bottle in a fraternity basement. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) We used to go to my cousin's house and lick. They had brown liquor. We didn't know what to do. So we would drink the brown liquor and then we'd put iced tea back in the bottle. Oh, my God. (laughs) I've never told anybody that that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Oh my God. And I don't think my aunt ever knew. Which says something <laughs> about your aunt. The old lush never knew the difference. Yeah, exactly. She never knew she was drinking iced tea. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that. I could also pick locks, but that's a separate story. Oh, oh yes. Really? Oh, yeah. I was stealth. I once said to Cooper, I love you and you are smart but you will never be as slick as I was. And we Thank had a, and we had an argument one time. He's like, it's so unfair. I'm so much better than you were. I'm like, I don't know what to say except for sucks to be you. I'm not, I don't have an answer. And I'm like, we didn't have cell phones. Right, right. We couldn't Google everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's the best part of being a celebrity? And what's the worst? Or a public figure? Public figure. The best is, I mean, there's, you know, some perks. If a flight attendant recognizes you, you know, like all kinds of stuff. Like there's some really good perks. You get great trips and stuff like that. Um, The worst is, I think during the pandemic, like people were always asking for hugs. And before the pandemic, although sometimes it could be cringy, I would always give hugs. And I think that's the thing that I have to remember, like, we're still in a pandemic. So, you know, I'm a hugger, but I think that's when somebody invades your space like that and you don't know what to do and you want to be polite. I think that's the worst thing. How about honestly. when it happens to you in a public restroom and the person hasn't washed their hands? That's gross. That's really, really And that's gross. happened to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And one last question. Yeah. When you were a little girl, did you ever think this would be your life? No way. I didn't even know this life existed. No way. No way. Absolutely not. That's what makes it much more amazing and beautiful. I had no idea. Well, Garcelle, I adore you. I want everyone to go out and buy your new book, Love Me As I Am. It's available now. And Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, season 12, on now. May 11th. May 11th. It's almost May 11th. Close enough. It's all a blur. (laughs) Again, Love Me As I Am. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Inspiring, great stories from the uh, African-American Michael Caine. 
<laughs> I love you, Melissa. I love you too. <laughs> A Huda Media Production.